Radio Podcast, your home for horological hot takes, taboo topics, and often unpopular watch opinions. I am your host, Brodinky. With me, as always, is my co-host, Schmidt. Friend of the show recently referred to you as Schmidt Lovin. I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. Schmidt, how's it going? <laughs> I'm doing fine, my my friend. How are you doing? Uh, Actually, pretty good. I had a very long day. I just hosted about 1,400 people for a gigantic barbecue. I am a little shot, but pretty interesting <laughs> day overall. Um, At some point throughout the day, I happened to sort of peek out into the dining room, and I had to do a double take because I saw someone I recognized, and I said, eh, I couldn't be. Turns out I was right. One of my favorite New York Giants of all time came to dine with us today. Uh-oh. Justin Tuck. So that was sick. No way. Yeah, very, very good defensive player back when they were winning Super Bowls. A very important guy for us. And he's unmistakable. He's enormous. He has a very distinct look to him. I was like, oh, my God. You know, I, obviously, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> yeah, go say fan, hi. You're like, fangirling a little bit. You know, huh? I, I don't fangirl much. I fangirl today. Let me tell you. <laughs> and uh, and nobody else knew who he was. I was like, I'm just here in my own little bubble. But um, yeah, I, I didn't know. I don't approach him. I don't. Re- I really don't do that to people, especially celebrities in public and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I try not to blow them up, especially uh, amongst their peers. But it, it was really cool for me. It was a very cool day um, in that regard. And then I had that big event. So overall, not a bad day. Uh, what else is going on with you? Nothing much, man. Just getting back uh, from a little bit of travel for work, um, as always. It's getting more and more difficult to record these episodes, unfortunately, but such is life. Uh, But just enjoying the time here, getting ready for the fourth. Um, I'm sure you're a little fourth out right now, even though we're not quite there yet. Um, But uh, yeah, excited for for the long weekend ahead, getting to spend some quality time with the family before I head on another trip next week. So. Very good. Very good. Uh, before we jump into things here, I would like to say uh, for those who listen to our, I don't know what you call them, brethren, friend, whatever podcasts um, on the latest spirit of time, uh, Greg mentioned the film Hustle. I don't know if you've seen it yet. I haven't. I haven't. Dude, let me tell you, probably best movie I've seen in a long time. Really? Yes. Sandler, you know, he's made a lot of iffy movies of recent this one crushed it. And it's not just because I'm a big sports guy and because I knew everybody who was in it. Like, it's a movie that has sports in it, but it is not necessarily a movie about basketball. Okay. Because, like I mean, from what I saw, he's kind of like, is he like an agent or? He's a scout. He's a scout. Okay. All right. All right. And so he's trying to find the next big player. He goes overseas. He, you know, it shows him in his journeys and his trials and tribulations and everything and his ups and downs. And, and it's funny, you know, it's got some Sandler one-liners in it and stuff, but it's a, it's a serious movie and it, it gets emotional at times, but really, really great movie, a ton of cameos, so many that you, you don't even realize how many people are really in this movie. And that's actors, athletes, everybody. And it's, yeah, cause I was going to really say, cool. even from the trailer, like I saw like actual NBA players and things like that, that are in the film, just from the trailer that I saw, I witnessed some people that are, you know, actual people. Yeah, so really, really great movie. I urge everybody to see that. It's kind of like today's, I don't know if you've ever seen He Got Game. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. The Spike Lee movie filmed in Coney Island about uh, Ray Allen. Well, not about, starring Ray Allen and uh, Denzel. But similar kind of idea where that, it, it's it got basketball in it, but it's not necessarily a 
basketball only movie. Like it's about yeah. it, their lives together, right? And it's kind of a similar idea. It's not just about basketball, but a lot of fun. It's got competitive parts. It's got humorous parts. Sad so it's parts. Kind of, it's kind of like a Jerry Maguire kind of kind of feel. Did you ever you watch know, the movie? Yes, that's a very accurate description of that. Okay. I would okay. definitely say that's a good description where you got it's more the, the behind money. the scenes of the world and the lifestyle and and everything like that. And that's necessarily about the actual basketball game itself. Yeah, but it's, you okay. know, it's fun to watch that part, too. You know, it's got some entertaining games in it and things and you get to see competition and it it's all about it's got real players. So that's fun, but definitely a great recommendation on his part. And uh, they even rag on the Philly sports fans, which because, you know, if anybody knows anything <laughs> about Philly, they're uh, ruthless. And they mentioned it a couple of times. So that's that's pretty funny also. So great recommendation there, Greg. Big ups to you on that one. Yeah, Before- I, was thinking, I was thinking what we should call ourselves. If we're going to if we're going to uh, the, the watch pod triumvirate crossed my mind. I think it was funny. Of- I thought of that one, too. I really? thought of the same exact name because of uh, I love you, man, where he calls yeah. the Rush the Holy Triumvirate. Yeah. Speaking of Rush, Getty Lee follows Berdinky, just FYI. The basis. <laughs> of for course Rush. he does, right? Why not? Why wouldn't he? Why not? <laughs> yeah, but, but I think I think it has a nice ring to it. Watch Pod Triumvirate. I like that. Yeah. So. Well, right now our group podcast, our, our our group chat is the Crotch Podcast Alliance. So can't go anywhere but up from there. <laughs> the Crotch Pod Alliance. Yeah. <laughs> and your boy Schmidt's not on that group chat, unfortunately hanging out <laughs> it's fine it's fine i'm not salty about it at all uh, before we jump into our topic today uh we have a couple new releases to cover i know i think everybody is a bit hot and cold on the new brightling super ocean yeah i will say at first i really disliked it but having looked in a little more i don't hate it it's almost like when you hear a song for the first time and you're like, this is terrible. And then it turns out you're like, sing it the next week and you're like, okay, I can get into this. Yeah. I definitely need to see this in person. It's really got some interesting quirks to it. What really is weird to me is that they offer this watch in at least from what I've seen, four different sizes. Yeah, four sizes for I'm sure. I'm looking at 46 millimeter, 44, 42, and 36. Yeah. And that's a big jump down. I mean, logically, you would think maybe 38, although I understand because they have a previous Super Ocean in 36. So you don't have to change movements too much. You could probably drop it right in the same case dimensions, I guess. So that makes sense. Understand. Yeah. And and I think, you know, from what I've kind of seen echoed on on social and different avenues, you know, YouTube and stuff like that, people that are already starting to cover this piece. It seems like this might be a replacement collection for the current Super Ocean line. So they're going to go full steam ahead into more of the vintage vein across all of the models, which I don't know how that's going to sit with everybody. You know, I, I, I personally happen to really like the current Super Ocean, not with the Super Ocean heritage, but the Super Ocean line itself with the enlarged Arabic numerals. I think it's a very cool look. I think it's distinctly brightling. Uh, it has kind of that that retro modern vibe to it that I think does really well. Price point's always been good. So I think for your average consumer, this is probably a little bit more polarizing. However, that said, for your watch collector, this probably seems more like something that they would pick up. 
But that's going to be the tricky part. Are you selling to the watch community, which might comprise a very small percentage of, of your all overall buyers? Or are you selling specifically to, you know, kind of the average person that's going to walk into your store and buy one of these watches that really doesn't care about the vintage aspect or the collectability of it or anything like that? Let me ask you, do you know what the previous price point is or was? Let me double check. I think it was right around the $4,000 price point, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. These new ones are these... around are a little yeah. more around five closer to five yeah these are closer to five it looks like but let me see if i can track down that original price but they kind of went the popular route now where you offer a bajillion colors and i did see i don't know is that a is that a gold tone or is that a bronze i didn't it's a bronze yeah okay yeah it's a bronze so there's a there's a bronze for sure there was apparently a specialty version of four yeah there's a regular bronze in 44 and a green bronze in 42 both of them are different color dials and then there's like a i think it's maybe a two-tone variation or something like that i did hear about it yeah so there's a couple versions and then there's like a super limited kelly slater version oh which yep. was like an orange dial on a green rubber strap um that uh that I think is going to be uh, extremely hard to get. A buddy of mine who's already gone hands-on with these watches has told me like that that particular model at his local AD is already spoken for, and they're only getting one. Yeah. So it seems like maybe the people who are, are going to carry this line, if you know you want the Kelly Slater one, like you're probably just going to have an opportunity to get one of them. I will say I'm probably the most intrigued by the 36 millimeter model. I do want to see how that looks and wears in person, especially because it doesn't have the same sort of flamboyant bezel as the rest of them do. It has a steel bezel. So it gives you a little bit more of a conservative look and it comes in my favorite colorway of theirs, which is orange. I think I like the orange and the black best of all. I'm not so into the turquoise and everything. I think that's kind of more Dox's range as we spoke yeah, about yeah, yeah. the aquamarine and everything i think they do that plenty good already i don't think anybody else needs to get into that i guess i understand given the market as it is right now where everybody loves everything in different colors but for me i think these being more traditional divers in black orange maybe a blue would be i don't know a little bit more of an on-the-nose offering yeah i mean i i think so and uh just kind of circling back to what we were talking about with the with the previous generation. Um, so it looks like they've officially removed the previous generation from the website completely. Okay. Like all the links that I can find are broken links now, so they no longer exist, at least on the Brightling US website. Um, but it does look like we were looking at a price point between 3700 and 4200 depending on kind of which one you got. So um that is something that was anywhere from 500 to a thousand more yeah i mean you know obviously a completely different collection gonna be some new stuff maybe with new tech i don't know but you know um a different aesthetic altogether but the previous generation is now completely discontinued it looks like okay and now this is a this model is a callback right to a previous model that was a chronograph yes yes I so, believe um, it's reference 2005. 
2005 is right. Yep, that's right. Okay, so this, this was, was a model yeah. that Breitling called the, the slow chrono. Uh, essentially, it was a diver's chronograph made in the 60s. Big old fat chapter ring. Um, and essentially, it was a chronograph that didn't have a hour and seconds indication. You just had a large hand for the actual chronograph. So as you would start, you would do your, your dive. Instead of rotating your bezel to track your dive time, which you could do, you could literally run your chronograph, and as the minutes would elapse, this giant slow chrono chronograph hand would tick over the minutes. So it wasn't actually tracking running seconds. It wasn't tracking hours. It was only tracking active minutes, which, again, if you think about it in diving, very seldomly are you ever going to dive more than 45 minutes, more than an hour, depending on depths and different things like that, unless you're a very technical diver. Which the average person, especially in the 1960s, really just is not at this point. Hmm. So um, it's a, that was a cool watch. I mean, it was funky, had a unique complication, very interesting design. And they're really trying to, you know, kind of call back to the 2005 model. But I'm just not, I don't know. I, I'm not sold on it. Again, you mentioned this. You have to see it in person. I'm with you. I, the thing is, is like, I want to like it. Because I love the slow chrono design. And as soon as I saw this, I immediately was like, this is exactly what that was. And then everyone started to talk about it. So I knew that this is how they were going to communicate this watch. It was going to be about, you know, referencing the slow chrono. Um, but that said, I wish it was the slow chrono. Yeah, you're you know? getting just a fat paddle minute hand here. Exactly. Exactly. And I don't know, man. I like the colorways. I really like. I think they're great. I was a little sad that they went into the Tiffany vein and did the did the aqua blue. You know, it's kind of like that Doxa blue. And again, I get it. There's a market for it. People are going to want to seek that one out and they're going to buy it. Breitling knows exactly what they're doing. There's also a green dial version. I mean, come on. It's all the same stuff, right? We're seeing it with Omega. We're seeing it with with other brands. We're seeing stuff that's on trend. I would have to say my personal favorite, just looking at all the specs, um, is the 42 version uh, with the silver white dial with the blue bezel. Okay. I think that one looks really, really sharp, especially on the bracelet. Um, but I think all the models, you know, overall look handsome. I just don't know if this is going to be an attractive enough watch for the average consumer. That's what I'm trying to figure out. So you're thinking there's too much inside baseball on Brightling. I think so. Half. I think so, man. I I really wonder if if your average person who knows nothing about watches, nothing about history, is going to walk into a store and seek out this watch. You know, if it was fair. me, if it was me, they'd probably end up with the Super Ocean Heritage before this one, or a Colt or something like that, because this is just a little bit too out there in terms of aesthetics. Now, the previous generation, a lot more people, inclusive of the watch community, could have purchased that watch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it just looks good. You know it's a Breitling. You know it's a good watch. It's just going to perform. This has a little bit more funkiness to it, which I don't know if that's going to translate with every single consumer, especially the non-WIS people out there. I think that's valid. I think that's very valid. But the, the 36 Orange does look good, my friend. You yeah, copying the new Breitling? Uh, again, I would like to go try it on, which I can do, which is great. 
<laughs> you certainly can do that. There, I, I mean, I already saw some retailers posting them today. Yeah, I can't they're, lie. That they're already I, in stores. I think 36 orange on the bracelet would be cool. And you know what? They removed, finally removed the ladies designation from their 36 millimeter divers. Well, hey, maybe you had something to say about that because I remember we we had a big stink about that earlier last year when we first started the pod. And uh, it's good to see that, you know, hey, it's 36. Like anybody could rock it. Why are we why are we assigning specific genders to these watches? It doesn't matter. Okay, now that we've beaten that horse to death, I think we can go on to one other model that'll probably be real quick. And that's the Oris. I believe it's called the New York Harbor. It's an aquas. It's got a mother of pearl dial and it's in green. And I think it looks really good. It gives me a lot of, and I guess it's because of the integrated look, everything. I, it gives me AP Offshore vibes. Okay, I could see that. I yeah. could see that. Um, but I like it. I like it a lot. I think it looks really good. I think the, the dial is very well executed, and you get sort of that uh, pearlescent aesthetic that you would see on an oyster shell, or you know what? Oysters also make pearls, so that's kind of a cool little tangential connection there. No, I think it's very handsome watch. Um, every single one of these dials will be unique. The watch is, is made to benefit a good cause. It's about ocean conservation, about restoring, you know, oysters to New York's harbor. Like to me, that's very cool. It's a cool connection. It's a unique colorway. Um, I don't know. Is did you did you catch if it was a U.S. exclusive or if mm, it's? Uh, I did not. Okay, I didn't either. Something tells me that it is, but I mean, I could be completely wrong off of that. We've covered so much uh, stuff recently and read so many articles. It's kind of hard to keep track, but I think the watch looks great. Um, this is a step in the right direction for Oris for me, in contrast to that watch that, that we talked about recently, right? The, the travel watch that they did a few weeks back. So much better option. I think it's going to be a much more handsome piece. Everyone that's seen it in person loves it. Um, the press photos, I think, are fantastic. So I think this is going to do well for them. It's a cool green. It's benefiting a great cause, and it's got a unique dial that I think most men probably would have historically, you know, kind of stayed away from. But it doesn't feel overly feminine in any way. I just it kind of looks like a green ocean, and that to me looks very cool. So I think it's a home run from Oris for sure. Yeah, and I think where that Holstein edition was very niche and very Oris collector friendly for the fanatics, I think this hits for everyone. I think this will be. A slam dunk for them. So great job on their part in that. And obviously for the for the cause in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. See, that's the same thing I was talking about brightly. You know, is it going to be a home run for everybody? That's going to be the question. Yeah. And I think, again, I think it's valid. I think there have been too many brands that have alienated, whether it be the consumer public or their own fanboys. You got to satisfy everybody. Right. It's and about it's hard. Uh, it's hard. Yeah. It's about how many uh, opportunities you have to snag that sale. Right. It's not about necessarily who you're appeasing. Absolutely right. Absolutely. But this is not a watching watches and marketing podcast. This is a watch <laughs> podcast. So <laughs> on to topic here. <laughs> Going back to our buddies over at Spirit of Time. Again, we have our little group chat. We often kick topics back and forth. And once in a while, we decide to do a group topic. This week on their show, they sort of extended the challenge to the other two shows, Us and Whiskey and Watches, and they laid out some ground rules and they said, you know, follow if you dare. They want to 
do a little challenge where you pick a decade. So, and it has to be an even 10 year decade. It can't be like 1925 to 1935, right? It's got to be 1920 to 30. 30. Yes, correct. So Greg and Matt took the 90s and 2000s, which is funny because I'm pretty sure we just got done bashing the style like a book <laughs> oh no they they made mention of that no, they're they like did. yeah it was, pretty funny. was roasting the roasting the 2000s and the 90s and i was like yeah it's true it's just that's i mean and I, it's funny that that i said that because he even brought this up he's like you know one of my favorite watches is the mid 90s seamaster right? it's an all-time I mean, watch and, and that and that you know looking back on it i'm like okay yes that is a very 90s watch but i almost to me that's that's almost completely removed you know it's such a an icon status that it's just like it's not even it's not a, even it's to be standalone exactly it's not even to be considered with the rest of the pack so uh it was funny i was listening to it to, uh again today in preparation for this podcast and i was just like yeah it was kind of dumb for me to say that <laughs> it's like one of my favorite watches ever was made in the 90s so there you go so you pick a decade, you, we're going to pick three watches from that decade. It doesn't necessarily have to be the best three watches in that decade, the most famous, the most not, uh, notable watches in that decade. It just has to be three that you would throw into a collection together. So a little bit of personal preference involved there. There is no right or wrong answers. So I think you got three, I got three. We're, we're just going to let this shit roll. <laughs> Let's do it. I think I have a theme for my collection that I've built here, and I noticed it when okay. I got to the end, and I think the theme is unapologetic. Unapologetic. Yes. Okay. Now, All right. I picked one of my favorite decades in horology, which is the 1970s. Okay. Now, I don't think I'm going to go where everybody thinks I'm going to go. I think everybody says, 1970s, you are going Seiko Chronos to the wall. Yeah, I would love to do that. I would absolutely <laughs> love to. I can make a collection, Pogue, Bruce Lee, and let me just go 6138s and 39s, whole yep, way, yep, done, yep. put it to bed, Kakume, whatever. I'll just run just, all just day long. Just call up DC Vintage, man. He'll get you squared away tomorrow. Exactly, Let's go. exactly. But I'm not going to do that. And I, I even, I do have a Seiko. I'm not going to lie to you. But, <laughs> but I think this collection I've built, didn't. I think this collection I built is very unapologetic in both what the watches are and what the watches are to their brand. So I will kick it off with, you know, I'm going to start with the most mundane pick of the bunch. I have a soft spot for this generation of Rolex Datejust. This 70s, I don't know how long it spanned, but with the janky Jubilee bracelet, very plain, I believe the reference on the one I like is 1604. Gray dial. To me, this is the elite date just of date justs. And people are going to say, what about Wimbledon? And I think it's right up there with the um, the two-tone around the same time period, the, the Patrick Bateman, American Psycho, even though allegedly I was a Seiko. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just a rumor I've heard. Yeah, I, I've heard the same thing, but I, I really can't confirm. It's been forever since I've seen that film. Yeah, and I'm not about to, to zoom in on the film. But anyway, that <laughs> two-tone Datejust and this one for me go hand-in-hand hand as the quintessential Datejust. This gray dial, it's got a sunray finish. It has so much depth to it. Not, not the silver dial, the gray dial. It's very deep. It's a dark gray. It contrasts with the steel beautifully. And against the texture of the fluted bezel, 
because you got to go fluted. If you're going to go date yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you have to go fluted. Well, if right? you're going this generation of date just, yeah, you're going fluted yeah, all 100%. the way. It, this watch, every time I see it, and it's on a lot of vintage sites, I don't know many collectors that have it, but I've seen it on a ton of vintage reseller sites. And every time I see it, it just grabs me by the cojones. And I, it's a good looking one. I might have to buy one eventually, but I, I there's it's a good this is watch. unapologetically Rolex date just, and I love it. it. You know, Cyclops, great dial. It's in 36 millimeter, which to me is the elite date just size, because although it's a dress sport watch to me, it's always read a little more dressy. Yeah. And I love those old bracelets. I do. I even the one that was on my five digit Explorer two. I prefer those bracelets. I don't need an easy link and a super quick adjust. I don't need none of it. I like those old minimalist bracelets that don't feel like you're wearing something heavy. They don't flop around because there's there's not a lot of counterweight to them. They just sit. They're super comfortable. They might have a tiny bit of stretch, but it's part of their charm. And to hey, me, man, just send it to Rolly Works. Look at you straighten up, man. LA let me tell you, that There's took a lot care of guys. Of there's a lot of guys that can work magics with bracelets like that that got stretched these days. It's crazy. But I mean, I want to say this. This dial, the gray, and specifically some of these versions, um, even the fluting of the bezel is different on yeah. some of these models. You know, like some of the later, the later Rolex State Just, which I don't particularly like, they have very tight flutes. Some of these like 70s models, it has more of that like engine turn look. Yes. Like the hand, the hand finishing that they used to do on some of the other, you know, like uh Air Kings and some of the, you know, the the Thunderbirds, things like that. Um, it's just a great looking watch. And for me too, this is one of those watches where Rolex got everything perfect. Smoked it. Everything perfect. And that's not something that I will openly admit often. Okay. You guys know where my sensibilities lie when it comes to the crown, but this is a watch that is the archetypal dress watch, sport watch, whatever you want to call it. To me, as kind of like what you think, this to me is just classic dress watch. Like it just, you put it on, it's just a beater. You just wear it and it just continues to work every single day, day in, day out. It doesn't matter. It's always going to look amazing. This is the one watch for the one watch collection. Like this That's is that exactly watch. how I see it. And the other thing too that I that I really love with these older Datejust is the proportionality of the case and the lugs and everything. Like this is a watch that you can put on leather straps. Like modern Datejust, I don't care how many times you try to stage a photo, the lugs are too fat. They do not look good with straps. Like period at all. They just they yeah. were never designed to have modern it. Rolex in general. Just do not lend to taking them off bracelets. No, and they make they the bracelets it- so great because they they don't want you to take them off. Exactly. And again, no, no shame in the game on that. But the, these older vintage models like that was a watch that you could take the bracelet off. You could put it on a nice gray suede or blue alligator or something like that and really set the watch off, especially with that gray dial. This is a this is a bang banger of a pick, bro. Yeah, I again, I every time I see it, I'm so floored with it. I really think I might end up picking up one of those soon. I mean, I think if the if the market bottoms out like everybody's projecting and you know, used watches and watches that people don't care about that much tank, I would consider picking this up at a, a yeah. nice price if it ever went there. <laughs> Not yeah, counting yeah, my yeah. chickens on that, but I'll uh, I'll hold out. But again, you know, some of these older models too, they're just more accessible anyway, because like yes. less and less people want them. You know, it's like, it's just a good watch. Any watchmaker can service it that knows Rolex and get parts. Like it's, it's a, it's a pretty simple watch to, to, to get, get sorted out. And, and the price points even right now, like, you're looking on the higher end, you know, sixes. If you if you're looking, you know, 
but median price from what I'm seeing is kind of like high threes, high fours. So, yeah, but it's all about, you know, case preservation, non-polishing, all that stuff. It's just, it's hard to find good examples, especially because Rolex is a a prestigious brand and people who own nice things want to keep them nice. So their first inclination is to polish. Yeah. Yeah. So that's tough. That's it. It really makes it hard on those, those vintage style models, you know, but I'm just going to say this with all the new modern technology and the watch ringers out there in the world that are doing, you know, laser welding. I, I am so fascinated by these guys that can do this where they can take a watch that has been ground to pieces. The lugs are basically non-existent and use laser welding and rebuild metal into the case. It is amazing. I mean, I, I can only imagine how expensive it is to do this and how labor intensive it is to do it. But the fact that you can take a watch that was quite literally on death's door and bring it back to life and not only do it, but sharpen the lugs and the finishing like they came out of the factory. That's impressive. And you can do it in steel. You can do it in gold. You can do it in really whatever material you need it to be done. And I think that that's fantastic. There's a lot of guys that are doing this out there. Um, so don't fret. Like every time I get a dent or scratch my watch, I'm like, yeah, someone just could laser weld that out. It's not a big deal. <laughs> like, don't worry about polishing it. Just have somebody re- redo, redo the case. Yeah. And that is the nice part about buying a vintage watch is it's expected to have scratches. So, you throw a couple on there, no big deal. It, it's already pre-loved, baby. It's yeah. good. It's good. <laughs> All right. That is my first pick. I will flip it over to you now. All right. So you guys know where my sensibilities lie. You guys know I'm a big Omega guy. And I really wanted to do something different. I I, I pick on Omega a lot. Um I, I choose them a lot. And I am gonna have one of these in my collection. I'm gonna have a, one of these for a pick. But I decided to go with the decade of the 1960s, uh, which I think is one of the most iconic decades for watch design in general. Uh, so many great designs came out of that, specifically out of the Omega catalog. I could have chose a Seamaster 300, a Moonwatch. I mean, there's so many Railmasters. There's so many different watches that came out in this era that would have been fantastic choices. Uh, I decided to go something a little bit different. I wanted a Chrono. But I decided to go with a 1960s Omega soccer timer, which is one of my favorite watches. And if I had the coin, I would totally get one. And my specific favorite rendition is the kind of white panda dial with the roulette 24-hour inner rotating bezel. It's just an amazing watch. It is so 60s. It's right on that cusp of going into the 70s, but an amazing piece, you know, chronograph, you know, manual wine, all the great Omega stuff that we get in the Speedy and everything like that. But it's really like the antithesis of the Speedmaster. It's such such a cool watch. Um, Very, very funky. And it's kind of a cool story. The fact that Omega made a watch for referees to use during FIFA and World Cup competitions to time the halves of soccer matches, to me, is just so cool. And the way that all the dials are finished are are reflective and indicative of that timing reference. Everything's divided into 45-minute halves. You can see this. It's clearly referenced on the dial. You have the 24-hour scale so that you can use it as a GMT if you need it. You have a day-night indication. It's just a fantastic timepiece. And this is just one of those watches that really not too many people know about unless you are an Omega fan and specifically a fan of their vintage collection. Um, but it's just a watch that I would love to see return again, to be honest with you, but it's just one of those cool pieces 
those kind of lost watches to history, those hidden gems that are in the industry. And, you know, every, every so often one of them pops up, they sell. Uh, but this is a really, really cool piece um, that I would love to personally own today if I could. Yeah, this watch is the definition of esoteric. That's why I wanted to go with it. I got <laughs> this... I to give the fans what they want. I got to yes. give them a little, something a little different, you know? If I'm going to yeah. go with Omega, it's got to be different. And not only that, I think kind of opening people's eyes to these wacky references is like really fun. Like when we did that episode, I think it was the Vintage Re issue episode, and we got into the diver that they did for the Israeli defense, like all these different oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. crazy models of Banana 200, like these wacky models nobody's ever heard of. I was like, this is actually really cool. Like I never knew these existed and they're all usually pretty expensive, but just knowing that they've been out there, like this is a cool watch. Obviously yeah. it had a practical use, but even now, like it's, this would be fun to own. Just looking at the, I mean, and, and there's so many, there's so many dial variations out there. That's what I was going to say. The different little nuances on the different dials and bezels. And I mean, again, it's like, it's so 60s, so 70s, you know, that cushion case design, you know, again, some had tachometer bezels that are internal. Some of them had the, the rotating 24 hour scales, the, the funky mismatch color with the sub dial. Like it is, it's just a cool watch. And Man, I would really love for them to bring it back. And it would be so easy with the 3861 to redo this watch and just launch it as, a, as an LE or some type of heritage piece. I think people would lose their minds. Do they have, they have Olympic soccer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Omega sponsors the Olympics, yes? They don't sponsor the Olympics. They're actually a partner of the Olympics. Okay. Sorry. So the so the distinction is that basically the, the International Olympic Committee actually pays Omega to do all the timing for the Olympics. So, so Omega doesn't pay. They 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 get paid. I mean, I don't see how this couldn't get done. Right? If we have Olympic soccer, soccer well, time I, of watch, I, Omega I makes mean, I'm it. I'm just I'm just saying this. If the Omega gods were ever listening to this, please make an Omega soccer timer reissue. Use the 3861. It's all right there, right in front of you. It'd be an amazing Olympic tribute watch. It'd be so cool. You imagine stocking all the all the referees at at the uh, at the World Cup or something like that with these types of watches. It'd be so cool. So, so, so cool. I think my favorite part of this watch is the orange hands because I'm a big, huge, huge fan of the Japan racing dials. Yes. And they have the orange hands. So this would be a another way to get into that without spending my life savings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on average, these are looking around the $5,000 price point. Right. Some can be had for less, but I mean, it's swingable. The other it's, ones are it's, less. It's not swingable. impossible to get. Is it inexpensive? No, but is it impossible? Absolutely not. Um, it's just like buying a, a, a brand new Omega. I mean, really? Yeah. But no brand new Omega is going to be this cool. I so, think you're right. I think you're right that's, about that. That's my pick. The soccer timer. All right. I will give you another one of my picks here that to me is unapologetically its own brand. And this is one that I've not been very kind to lately. But I'm going to go with the Tudor Snowflake Submariner. This watch. Okay. Right. This is what the Pelagos was based off of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I adore this watch. 
square markers, snowflake hands. The proportions were beautiful. You could get a Marine National edition if you were really feeling saucy. But just they nailed it so well with this. The blue dial is my favorite. It looks so good. It, yeah. they, the ones I've seen have patinaed out so nicely. The contrast is so great with the dial against the sort of yellowing of the markers. And it's at the time it was, you know, a top notch badass tool watch. So by today's standards, maybe not so much, but it just looks so good. And I, I'm such a fan of this. And it, it's part of the reason why I, I originally bought the Pelagos in the first place, but I, I it's everything I love about Tudor and their history that they are kind of muddling now. But see, that's this is also when Tudor was making watches to be performance tools. Yeah. They didn't care about the luxury. They didn't care about the notoriety. They didn't care about the prestige. They were going to make a superior product and deliver it. And it, did, it didn't matter who ended up wearing it, whether it was the Marine Nationale or the French Legion or, you know, the, the U.S. Navy. It didn't matter it was about making a good watch that anybody could own and that you could beat the crap out of and you're right you know in some ways this particular type of Samarina with the with the so no the snowflake hands my gosh with the snowflake hands i think is a better looking Samarina than the rolex counterpart period that's my opinion i love the chunkiness of it visually yeah. You know, the Rolex feels very like sleek and sexy. This feels very hyper masculine and very like rugged. Like, yes, just that's the beefy, word I would use. Beefy, you know, even though it's the same case, it's the same bracelet, crown, all that stuff. The only thing that was different was the movement in the dial, right? Like, that's kind of the idea. But this watch just has so much more visual ruggedness to it to me than, than, than standard sub. So, and I could get it with a roulette date wheel. <sighs> I know, like how, like so sick, so sick. If they weren't so expensive today, yes, hundred. My God, could you imagine if we got turned on to this like fifteen years ago? We could have yep. just bought these for literally pennies on the dollar. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> it's it's a shame, but yeah, these are to me just some of the coolest watches historically. I mean, as far as my favorite yeah, watches throughout history go, this is right up there. I love everything about it. And, and again, and again it's just yeah. unapologetically Tudor. You have the Tudor shield. You have the snowflake hands. You have, looking at it, you see Rolex heritage, but you know, based on the dial, just at a glance even, this is not a Rolex. Yep. So. It's cool, man. It's a great pick. It's a great pick. Two picks from the crown, but arguably, you know. Yeah, I've, I, z- I zagged very hard in this episode. I think people were thinking this was just going to be Seiko. Let me just go Willard and 6309 Turtle. But done. Not so fast, folks. <laughs> no, no, no I, I agree. I think these are two solid picks. And again, when, when I think about these, these are archetypes. Like yes, these are yes. watches that have defined entire brands, entire watch collections, you know, micros, whatever you want to talk about. These are these are two designs that are, you know, as much as I'm not a Rolex fanboy, you guys know that I cannot not give props to these designs because they are that important for the history of watchmaking, period. Like, it's just these are just that good. 
So, whew, that's a that's a tough act to follow, man. How am I supposed <laughs> to follow that up? Um, but all right, I'm gonna make my best of it uh, and try to do this. But uh, the second pick that I have is also a dive launch, mm-hmm. um, and also from the 1960s. And this is the 1960s. I'm gonna say Jenny because that's how I've always heard it pronounced. But the Jenny Caribbean 1000. Uh, so for those of you who are not familiar, Jenny, uh, kind of a smaller micro brand. If you wanted to use a modern word, um, watch company back in the sixties, they used to make a lot of timepieces and they used to also, um, manufacture watches for other companies using their cases and bezels and things like that. And they were typically sold in dive watch shops. So, or sorry, dive shops, let's just say not dive watch shops, but dive shops as, you know, equipment that divers could pick up and use when they would go diving, especially during the 1960s when there wasn't really any dive computers. Uh, What made Jenny very unique is they had the Navy decompression table um, literally built into the bezel. So similar to DOXA and how they represented it, uh, Jenny had a similar representation, although aesthetically they looked very different. Um, But basically you could use it to track your total dive time but also uh, how much time you could stay at certain depths during your dive. It was a way for you to plan it out uh, and make it reliable. Uh, they had a several different versions. I chose the, the Caribbean 1000, which was a 1000 meter rated timepiece. There's the reference 702. Um, and this is one that, that typically has a, a yellow dial. So very similar to kind of the, uh, very similar to the kind of the Doxa yellow, but not quite as as bright, uh, but a very, very cool watch. You strap this bad boy on a Tropic or on a Beads of Rice and let's let's go. Let's go diving like this is this is a cool piece. Now. I may have read on the Internet where everything is absolutely true that this might be pronounced Yeni. I'm not 100 percent sure because, again, Internet. Um, reminds me of Ron Burgundy. Uh, I believe they call it, it might be yogging, might be a soft J, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, one time I, I made a meme, a joke and it had Forrest Gump in it. And in the movie, they ask him what he's going to name the boat. Cause it's unlucky to have a boat without a name. And he says the most beautiful name in the world, Jen a. So I made a, jo- a, a meme and it's two panels yeah, and it's got Forrest Gump and it's got this watch in the other panel and somebody's like, I think it's Yanny. I'm like, dude, leave me alone. I'm just trying to make a, a funny here. Right? But that's where I heard it from. Again, might be completely false. I don't know. But uh, that aside, in clicking around these, I went straight to the yellow. The yellow is awesome. This shade of yellow is ridiculous. I love the black and white contrast on it. It's a little bit uh, Pittsburgh to me, Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Penguins, whatever you want to call it, but I'm down with it. I'm here for black it. Black and yellow, black and yellow. Yes, yes. Wiz Khalifa should definitely own one of these. <laughs> one Honda. Um, I love the diamond-shaped hip. Yeah. That's very badass. Cool. Yes, there's a lot to like about this. It's very detailed. I like the handset. I like, obviously, it's a thousand-meter diver. That's pretty awesome for its time period. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's, it's, it's a, very it's aesthetically pleasing to look at. It's something very just very nicely symmetrical about it. Even with this wacky scale around the bezel, I like this watch a lot. I would definitely consider owning this had I been able to track one of these down in good condition. Yada yada. But um, 
you know, this is, this is like one of my rabbit hole watches that I would find late at night. Like when I look at like Anna cars and things like that, <laughs> and like mm -hmm. vintage Zodiacs, like these are the type of watches that I, I get put onto. And then next thing you know, I'm exploring the Yeni back catalog and it's four in the morning. But yeah, I think this is a great pick though. I like this watch a lot. Uh, it looks like the proportions are beautiful on it. And it's a lot of what you love about other brands like Doxa, similar look, it, it, just in a more traditional case shape and everything. It's it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And I think so according to to watch pro site, I just did a Google search. It is pronounced Yenny. Okay. Uh, so this is no J, but Yenny. Uh, but this, somehow they are affiliated with the actual Doxa family. And uh, okay. I don't know if they're still currently producing the Yenny watches. I know they came back for a little bit a few years ago it's kind of like a modern re reissue but i don't know if they're still continuing i haven't seen anything from them as of late but certainly the vintage version that's what i would rock i think it's a cool piece throw it on a ladder bracelet throw it on a beads of rice throw it on a tropic we're ready to go diving i love it and so many of these patinaed out so nicely too i know like they, know. the patina is almost another shade of yellow so it just adds more dimension it's actually a little bit ridiculous and they were sold so, under so many like labels, like off labels, like it, it was, it's, it's crazy. Like just so, so, so cool. Yeah. I'm seeing this. I'm seeing like Patrona or Perona, whatever this <laughs> I, is. There was, there, I mean, you, do you ever hear like Voight, like the, like the ball company that used to like make like sports balls and stuff? Like, oh Voight, yes. Voight, yeah. Yes. Voight used to have like a Jenny, uh, a Yenny diver as well. Like it was wow. like with their logo, <laughs> I was like, okay, like you're making sports balls and. And dive watches, like those two things are synonymous. But again, Thermid, just, Thermidor. Yeah, just that's, all kinds of just weird. It's a lobster weird dish. <laughs> is it really? Lobster Lobster's Thermidor. Thermidor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like yeah, I've seen a lot of different off brands, but that's that's kind of neat. You know, it's kind of a, a fun historical tidbit. Oh, for sure. But definitely, a, again, another very esoteric pick, but a very, very sound pick here. I like it a lot. Onto my last pick, and here's bros down the middle pitch on the nose baseball here. I went with a Seiko diver, obviously, because that's what, you know, my favorite part of Seiko's history is. Probably not the one everybody's thinking of. Again, 6309 or something in the Willard genre. I'm going with the OG grandfather tuna. Ooh. Yeah, right. So this watch was originally designed to be their sort of answer to the helium escape valve. It doesn't have one. And basically, it has this honking case so that it just prevents gas to get in all uh, gas from getting in altogether. And it does sort of the compression as it goes down farther. And so this was their answer to the, the Swiss's fancy schmancy um, helium escape valve. Now these, uh, a lot of the older tunas are, are quartz and things like that. This is an automatic. It's got a really nice lollipop second. It's got a crown at four. So very unobtrusive, despite the watch being rather large. Uh, it's got the shroud that everybody thinks of when you think tuna can Seiko. Oh yeah. Uh, I believe the reference is, I want to say 6159, I think. Uh, but these are just so cool. They're they're unapologetic, again, unapologetically Seiko, unapologetically Seiko divers. 
Um, you know, they come on rubber straps, you wear them, you strap them to your wrist. They are not small by any stretch, but there's just such an allure about them being a 600 meter diver during that period and sort of taking almost like a low tech approach to it. It's, it's, it's exactly why we like watches. It's like that old world analog feel that yeah. it, it, it doesn't take itself, itself too seriously and it doesn't need all the extra technology and extra hype. It, it just is what it is. And this watch, I mean, it, it spurred how many generations of tuna. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an icon in, in Seiko's catalog. And I, I just, I love the handset on it. I love I was just going to say that this is honestly one of my favorite Sego handsets ever. Yeah. And I, I don't think that I've ever seen them use it again. I mean, they have you know the same silhouette, but I don't ever see it with a line straight through it. Yes. That to me, I, I love. That. that to me, I love. I mean, again, I, I know that even my Seiko diver had this kind of similar handset, but it didn't have the lines going, you know, vertical through the through the hands themselves in the middle. That to me is just so cool. Yeah, you know, and it it doesn't have any of the modern kind of Seiko tropes that I talked about with Nick. You know, no Prospects logo, no, none of that. It's just a, a super classic, super clean diver. Seiko, 600. That's yes. all you need to know. That's all you like, need. <laughs> that's all you need to know. <laughs> you know exactly what this bad boy is going to be here for. It's literally to go down and do, do hood rat stuff at the bottom of the ocean. So. Yes, doing hood rat stuff with my SpongeBob friends. Exactly. Like, I love it, man. These uh, and these have exploded on the vintage market, which sucks. Oh yeah, I'm looking at I, price. I points. would really, really <laughs> it's like kinda, one it's kind of sick. <laughs> yes, although the, the the modern versions of the tunas are not horrible. I mean, especially if you get a, a quartz version, you could really beat the crap out of that thing. So, by all means. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it looks like some of the quartz versions are 400 bucks or so, on average. But forty-seven yeah, millimeters. Think, yes, but I think even even the automatics, I think, only go up to like a thou twelve hundred. Again, depending yeah. on limited editions and upgraded specs and things like that, you know, you can get ones with red text that I think are like three grand. But do you need that? No, you could just get like the Darth Tuna or something. You know, just and you know what? I understand the size is very daunting, but like I said, I had that Arnie similar dimensions. Well, it's 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 also a a lugless case. Yeah, so the, it's literally a puck. They you know, do. It just, uh, it just yeah, sits they do right wonders the with that. Yeah, they do wonders with those big cases. They really do. Yeah. I mean, when you think about like the Willards and Turtles, like those are not small watches at all, and pretty much everybody can wear them. Yeah, it's just how it's all about how you design the cases, and the same thing with the Ploprof. I mean, it's a lugless, you know, watch. It's a hooded hooded lug watch, and it wears very well despite its size dimensions. And the same thing is true here. I mean, this is a watch and here's the other aspect of this this is a watch specifically designed to be a tool diving watch yes 100%. the bigger the bigger the watch the more legible it is underwater and if you're actually using this for what its intended purpose actually is which is diving you want to watch it's actually larger i remember the first time i dove with a blow prof and i finally understood why this watch was created it was a magical moment where you kind of come to this symbiosis between you and the watch and you understand this watch was built with every aspect of it with intention. And the same thing is true with this tuna. Like it's designed to function exactly the way that it was intended. 
Yeah, it's definitely uh, a little more form. I'm sorry, a little more function over form. Correct. Yes. Correct. So that is mine. And I know people are probably screaming, oh, but the 70s, they had all the angular cases on all the fun, popular sports models now, Nautilus, Royal Oak, all that, ba ba ba. It's just, you know what it is? I, I, if I'm going to make a list like this, I want it to be somewhat realistic. I want to, you know, again, could I really break the bank and spring for that Tudor sub? Yeah. Do I think I could get a Royal Oak? No. <laughs> <laughs> so apologies there, but it is what it is. All right. Well, let me round out my last collection uh, or my last piece in the collection. I've talked about this one recently. Um, seeing as how they they're they're getting ready to come back i think um or they're making a resurgence but the last watch is i kind of wanted something that was a little bit dress watch i did you know sporty fun chrono i did sporty diver I wanted something a little bit more simple or, or serious but i want something with a complication and i decided to go with a volcano cricket um manual wind wristwatch alarm feature you know some of the cases vary some of the sizing varies you could do gold tone you could do silver or steel Whatever you want, there's so many options, especially in this time period. But I just think there's something so very cool about this complication that I absolutely love. I've always been a fan. And uh, I just think it's one of those watches that, you know, watch collector people will immediately notice what it is because they're, they're familiar with it. But even still, I don't hear a lot of people talk about Volcane. And um, it's a cool brand. It has a great history. They're technically the watch company of the president's the president's uh, watch the president's watch which is so funny every every president has been issued a, a volcano <laughs> since basically forever and uh and yet uh rolex gets the moniker for that for having the the presidential right so it is what it is but uh but yeah i think it's a fantastic watch certainly something a little bit different not your run-of-the-mill piece but this collection kind of you and i were in the mindset that we didn't want to do something that was run-of-the-mill so i think it makes sense yeah, and I think even you and I have talked about the newer ones. The newer ones look great. I mean, I think they're limited edition. And I think they're like thirty five hundred bucks, which is not yeah. necessarily in my favor. But it has all the aesthetic of the old ones. The old ones are super cool. Again, a great function for its time period. And it has that provenance as I think Kennedy had one and all these other super famous presidents. So it's got that going for it. And again, Volcano is one of those brands that I'll wind up on the couch at three in the morning, just flipping through like, different Volcano models. And I'm like, <laughs> like, look at this one. Look at this one. Look at this one. Because they have a lot of different references to this. Yeah. And it's just cool. Again, it's a cool old analog feature that you could probably still use today and have it be somewhat useful. Oh, of course you could use it today. You could use it to take your daily pills. You could use it for a presentation to know when to stop. You know, you could use it to remind yourself to, you know, or, you know, that your parking meter is about to expire. There's so many uses for something like that. That that's an alarm feature that that is just great for for productivity. You know, it's just a, it's yeah, a I general mean, reminder. I use timers all the time because you know, my career involves a lot of multitasking and having your head in a lot of different places at once. And even though I'm very good at that, sometimes somebody will distract you and now it's all over the place. So um, a lot of things are commonly 
uh, burnt in my line of work, like croutons and things that go over very fast. After, <laughs> like, after like four or five minutes, you're pretty much screwed. So having something like this, I mean, we usually have a little digital timer or something, but this comes with you. I mean, if you leave the room or something, nobody knows your timer Correct. goes off. They have no idea what it's for. This is a little more practical. You'll, it'll go off. You can go back, fix whatever you got to do. And again, not that I would necessarily wear this at work, but it's just a, an example of how you could actually apply this complication where many, many, many of the watches we talk about are not useless, but just a, a little defunct. Yeah. I mean, and, and to me, the penultimate version of this watch is the, the nautical cricket, which I would give a leg to own. <laughs> but uh, but that's a, that's a watch for another day. That is a truly amazing watch, the nautical cricket. Because you could set a mechanical alarm that would resonate underwater. That is pretty cool. So you could actually set a dive time and what your dive plan was. Because, again, everything was before computers. So there was nothing automatically telling you depth, time, anything like that. So you could set, okay, I know at this depth I can be down for 30 minutes. Let me set my alarm feature to go off 30 minutes from when I start my dive to let me know when I need to start resurfacing. Like that is such a cool feature to be able to do that in a watch, you know, and this is all mechanical. This is crazy, but, uh, but so many of these watches have just been lost to, you know, unfortunately the quartz crisis, lost the time, you know, lost to, to collectible favor because Houdinki's not writing about them. We'll see if that changes, but you know, all of these things, these watches come up and then they kind of fade away. And that's, for us, why this, this podcast is so important, why we do some of these episodes is because we want to give you guys exposure to watches that you would not have otherwise maybe thought of or heard of. And to me, that's important because we could sit here, we could talk about Breitling and the new Oris and everything like that all day for the rest of the time. But you guys are getting that content from everyone else yep. as well. Let's give you something different. Now, do you know how they execute the alarm in it? Is it a, a gong or a chime or? Yeah, it's basically like it's um, some of them, depending on the models that they had, you would use like some of them had two crowns and basically you would wind up two different mainsprings. Some of them were a little bit less, uh, less, you know, I don't want to say functional, but some of them were a little bit more primitive where it was just kind of like you would set it, but like a plunger on the case. Uh, so it just depended. But it, it, it basically is like a, like a, it's not like a, a minute repeater. It's like a, it's like a, oh, okay. So it's sound. like a, a vibrating type of Correct. alarm. Okay. And that's why they call that's... it the cricket because it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. It's like I got that. It. Cause I was wondering, cause I, I know from looking at minute repeaters, they have gongs and chimes to represent yeah, different, it's not that different. Dun, 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 dun. It's yeah, not like that at all. Right. It's like, it's very violent. It's like, brrr. <laughs> jackhammer yeah yeah exactly exactly and the whole your whole watch is shaking at the same time you know How and the the case backs were designed with like these holes that were that were sealed but they were basically resonance chambers so as the sound would vibrate through the case these holes would actually amplify the sound yeah. on your wrist so you could hear it better which again this is like this is 1960s technology and innovation and we've lost so much of that today it's like the inverse muffler yeah I mean, and again, these watches were packaged in, you know, 34 millimeters, 35 millimeters. And the fact that we were able to do this in those sizes is insane. Yep. Now we can't even get three handers in those sizes anymore. We don't even want to make watches in those sizes anymore. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. But 
certainly a very cool watch, very cool complication. And I wish, I wish more mechanical alarms would come back. I really do. Omega made some for a while. Jaeger did some for a while. You know, of course, Volcane did did them their bread and butter. Tudor did theirs. They had the Advisor series. Yeah, now they killed it. And they, I mean, they, I still see them floating around, you know, slowly decaying with the UV lights from the cases. But, you know, it's such a it's such a beautiful watch. And they just they they do nothing with it, which is That's so probably gross. maybe their most underrated model. I, I, I really Every, do like the everybody Tudor I talk to likes that watch. And they're like, why doesn't this watch get enough shine? I'm like, I don't have a good answer for you. <laughs> because nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody cares about it. Nobody knows how to set it. And certainly, your average salesperson in those respective stores have probably never pulled it out of the case. And they're certainly not pitching that. Exactly. Because they're going to sell four Black Bays over this one advisor. Which is a shame. Yeah. Because even their most recent version that had kind of like a purpley brownish dial is a stunner. It's a dial color I've never seen used on any other watch. And it looks amazing. And yet they can't sell this watch. It's a damn shame. And it's also an extremely complicated watch for Tudor. It's a mechanical alarm. It has a, an alarm indication that it's on. It has a date. That's a pointer date. And it looks like it's got a power reserve. That's a pretty impressive watch. And it's not an arm and a leg. No. Average price point is under $4,000. So mm. what's up? Damn shame. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it gets covered recently. All right. And with that, I think uh, I think this is a good episode. I think we, we threw some curveballs here. I don't think anybody would have picked. I think maybe they would have picked the tuna for me. And maybe I don't think they would have picked soccer timer. They would have said Schmidt's going to throw an Omega in there. But aside from that, a Yeni, a Volcane, right. right? And then me with I threw in two crowns. I don't think anybody would have saw that coming either. So I think we kept people on their toes here. And uh I think this is a good answer to the boys over at Spirit of Time. I'm curious to see what our other buddies at Whiskey and Watches do, I think, this week, either this week or next week, but we'll see. I mean, we all had kind of similar watches in our under 10K collection, so I'm curious to see if anybody tried to go off the rails a little bit and throw their own curveballs in there. But I guess uh, time will tell. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. And with that, I think we're going to take out episode 37 of the Wrist Cheese Radio podcast. As always, thanks for listening. We will catch you next week. Thanks, guys. Deuces. Deuces.